Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Hello, all you beautiful souls. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. we got both a veteran and a, res- and a first responder on here with me today, so pretty happy about that. And actually, I should rephrase that. Technically, um, more than technically, factually, RCMP are considered veterans in Canada. So uh, let's have a look at this. We're looking at Camp Aftermath. I have done a lot of shows on a lot of different retreats for for uh, veterans and first responders, and I can tell you, although I haven't been at one myself other than to to visit, I get a lot of feedback from people about how important it is to unplug, get away, and then have some structure around it so that they can maybe learn some skills and and get some therapy, just to get out of the house and to have a sense of safe community. Uh, recently there was Operation Pegasus Jump and the sense of community with all these skydivers getting together, that's really where the healing came from. It wasn't from jumping out of the plane, although that's hella cool. It was from the people getting together and having that sense of community. So today on the show i got Chris Wood and Fareed Yagini. Folks, thanks so much for uh, reaching out and thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, uh, Chris, uh, you reached out to me first. Um, tell me about your experience with CAF, Camp Aftermath. What's the first time that uh, you, you heard of this organization, and how did you get involved? Actually, I heard about this organization through another nonprofit called uh, Warrior Adventures Canada. And um, they... I wasn't able to get on one of their programs there, um, so uh, they highly recommended Camp Aftermath sent me the link, and uh, and then that was it. I I went through the process and jumped through all the hoops and <laughs> uh, ended up on the program in Roto Four for this year and next. And how long is a Roto at uh, Camp Aftermath? It's a year long program. Okay. And there's. Yeah, and uh, so it's uh, the first phase is you're, you're basically uh, getting to know each other, connecting online, and then the second phase you actually meet up and do a uh, work, but you're also doing um, some work on yourself. Sorry, we're having trouble with uh, Chris there. Hope she, she uh, comes back on. Um we're having, uh, I can cover off for a very basically break down where she left off there. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, so as, as Chris was explaining, uh, she heard of us because uh, our sister charities, uh, Warrior Adventures Canada, another amazing program. 
Uh, and uh, so we work with each other. Uh, our program is kind of a f- continuation uh, of, of other programs because it's one year long. So uh, as you know, there's a lot of amazing retreats and, uh, and programs out there. And before starting Camp Aftermath, I attended a lot of them. And they're absolutely amazing, everything from fly fishing to uh, climbing mountains to horses. It's just amazing. One of the pieces of feedback that I got was that, what do we do after we come home? So there's that always sense of reliance on, uh, you know, going to the next program, uh, taking the next pill, seeing the shrink the next week type of thing. So what do I do while I wait type of thing? That sense of purpose. So uh, with the help of, of course, mental health experts, John uh, Whalen, uh, a former veteran himself, uh, being the chief mental health expert, uh, we have Dr. Taylor, we have Lise Preston, we have Dr. Shu, we have Dr. Genevieve as well. Um, is basically broken down to three phases. Phase one being suitability. Uh, so this is not a suicide prevention program, Camp Aftermath. So we actually interact with the participants, family members, and their mental health expert to make sure they're suitable for this program, right? We don't necessarily ask for private information, but just saying like, you know, if you're if you're still fighting addiction, if you're still actively maybe trying to like thinking about hurting yourself, you know, your, your mental health expert would kind of help us. Okay, you know what, this is not the best time for this. And then we have, um, basically, we start some video teleconferences, and that's basically uh, getting to know each other, as Chris was saying, right? So we break the ice. Uh, and then phase two of our program is one-week volunteerism. It used to be in Costa Rica before the pandemic, uh, but now we have it in Canada, Cam uh, uh, Garagona, which is a, a beautiful uh, charity supporting uh, children and adults with autism and Down syndrome. And basically, in that week, we engage in volunteerism, and the, the, the meaning behind that is to find a sense of purpose beyond the uniform, right? Uh, because the, the military provided this amazing platform for us to give and to have purpose. But that came with the cost of me needing a war to be useful as a soldier. A, a police officer needs crime to have purpose. A firefighter needs a fire, right? So what happens when that uniform leaves, uh, whether it be... Uh, through uh, mental trauma, physical trauma, or just retirement. Um, how do we get that sense of purpose back? Because that purpose was not really intrinsic. It was a, someone else's platform, a green machine that will keep going with or without you. So this volunteerism piece is to give us that sense of purpose that we don't need. You know what I mean? As, as beautiful as that career was, uh, you can still ser- serve uh, people without it. And in addition to that, uh, in that, of course, mental health experts do a lot of group work. We start developing positive habits uh, by, you know, turning rituals into habits, if you will. So we wake up early, yoga, meditation, green, some, drink some green drinks, which Chris hated. Uh, you know, we do all that. We do all that stuff. Not to say if you do these things, you'll be happy, but you might pick one, right? You might not need as much pain meds. Uh, and then you might do yoga, right, and, and, and stuff like that. So we expose you to things over and over and over in addition to the volunteerism work, right, and the group work. The group work also gives you ability to stand outside of yourself because what it does, if people come in, you always check in with yourself at a 10. So you might come in at a 10 one day and someone has a 2 one day. Uh, but what that does is the next day you might change places, so it removes this thought of when things are going good. Oh man, this is gonna the shoe's gonna drop any minute now, and I'm gonna it's just, you know gonna go south. Sorry for swearing. No, so no, on uh, this show, you don't have to apologize for that. Okay, cool. Uh, so, but then you start not caring or thinking that things are gonna get bad because you know 100% things are gonna get bad, and then it's gonna go good again, right? Because it gives you this ability to zoom out because there's other people on this journey with you. 
And then phase three being the most important phase in, in, in all our minds is the one-year follow-up. So we create an internal uh, uh, chat room, and for one a year, we connect uh, via VTC, so video teleconferencing. Uh, for the first six months, we connect every week. We set SMART goals. We check in with a book that we're reading. Uh, we what we're, what, It's all about incremental change, right? When we had this bad boy in Costa Rica, dudes want to come back and, you know, grow a man bun, get a yoga mat, and move to Tibet, right? And maybe we can slow that shit down a bit. How about you take a 20-minute walk three times a week? You know what I mean? Date your wife. Do something incremental change towards the best version of yourself, as we say. Um, so then we check in once a week, small changes, right? Small changes, small changes. And then that adds up to a lot in one year. After the six-month mark, we start moving that to once a month. And the reason for that is, though it's the community, though it's a group, this journey is one that you're going to be alone on, right? So you need to not not then turn Camp Aftermath into the uniform, right? Where, again, it becomes outside of you that you need this, right? So then we start, you know, you have to now do the work to create uh, your own community, whether that be through volunteerism, which we promote and we help support any uh, initiatives you have, or whether that be re-engaging with family, uh, re-engaging with veterans, whatever that may look like. Um, so we don't want that to be, you know, Camp Aftermath to be like, this is why I'm better. That's not what the, the aim of Camp Aftermath is. It's just to get you to look inside and to know the answers were already inside, you know what I mean? And kind of work towards with your mental health expert team and ours. One That's of my the, elevator picture. Well, one of the most important things when somebody's getting out is replacing that sense of purpose that I heard you say several times. And in private communications, uh, Chris uh, mentioned that sense of purpose and the importance of it. And I have said again and again a thousand times on this show, go volunteer to do something. Make, do something other than go golfing or whatever your recreation is. Uh, you hear these uh, folks that retire and they say, well, I can I can only do so much golfing, you know, like what the hell else am I going to do? It's like, is that the limit of your creativity is uh, you can only imagine you doing stuff for you, for your own personal entertainment. Uh, it's empty when all you're doing is golfing or whatever your recreational activity is. You know, that that's good and you need to do that for yourself and have that self-care and that self-respect. But you're not going to get fulfillment from it. You're only going to get fulfillment if you're um, doing something for somebody else and recreate that sense of service. It doesn't have to be something big and epic like what we see, um, like what we've done as we've served. You know, you're not going to get into any gunfights or anything like that, but you don't have to. That's not what's required. But that sense of service comes out of just helping somebody, just help somebody. And that is what, that is the bridge to any kind of transition into civilian life. You have to maintain that self-service, just help somebody, and it'll help yourself. It'll give you a reason for getting out of bed in the morning. It help, it's a great thing for fighting depression as well. Uh, Chris, uh, you talked about needing to find that uh, sense of purpose when you got out of the RCMP. So when you were in the RCMP, what was your sense of purpose then, and then how did you replace it? Well, that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, my sense of purpose really was uh, I wanted to help kids. I wanted to help kids that weren't able to help themselves, and that's why I got into the force to begin with. And uh, my purpose was really just to be able to see 
Uh, I did a lot of uh, Aboriginal policing in the high Arctic. And so just to be able to see the difference that you've made, even in a day, or it could be even a year with one individual, it, uh, it, it gave me a sense of purpose to serve. Uh, and, and that was really, really what it was. I just needed to do that uh, in order for me to thrive, you know. And uh, now uh, it, it took me a while. I'm still working on my purpose, uh, actually, but um, I'm, I'm kind of going in that, that right direction, I think. And uh, that sense of purpose has a lot to do with uh, my recovery. It has a lot to do with my family, uh, my tribes that I have. I have a few different tribes on the go. Um, that I can lean on if I need to, and uh, again, to serve. And really, you made a really good point there, Mark, with regards to just doing something. Like that could even mean, you know, uh, getting a coffee for a homeless person. You know, you see, you see these people out there um, that need some help that are not willing to ask, and just something like that uh, makes you feel incredible inside, that you're actually able to do something. You're working outside of your, yourself, uh, you're working for the universe, and 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 it's a big difference, I think, from where I am now than I was before. I'm I'm still the same Chris, but I've expanded significantly in this journey. Um, I'm not that purpose where I was just the uh, the police officer for 20 years, and that's really all I thought I was. You know, that was who I was, but that was just a tiny little part of me, and I didn't realize that until I actually got out of the force and to realize, okay, yeah. You know, the RCMP was a little bit of who I was, but that's that's just, you know, a quarter, not even a quarter. You know, I use I like to use decimal points, so 0.09% <laughs> of who I am um, as a human being and what I stand for and whatnot. So I hope that I hope I answered that question for it, you. It, it, you. You have. And uh, unfortunately, Chris, your audio is really a problem. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can find a pair of headphones. I'll, I'll put you on mute right now. It's... Um, yeah, it's it is an issue. I do apologize for that, but um, I agree with you. Like any kind of situation where you're just helping somebody, could be volunteering at a food bank is the one I usually put out. But it's also routine and um, free. You were talking about that earlier as well. Is having that routine where it's it's part of a habit and when you do a habit long enough it actually becomes part of your life and it becomes part of who you are Uh, i was telling you i've been doing um, duolingo learning french every single day for 708 days in a row whatever i'm at so I, i don't even need to use the streak freezes anymore because it's just become a part of my life and i've also made the decision that i'm going to spend five to 20 minutes a day for the rest of my life learning a new language. I don't know how much longer it's going to take before I could speak French, probably forever, but I don't care. Uh, it's a it's a positive, constructive thing that I'm going to do. It's a positive habit, and it's just part of my life now because I did it for long enough, and that's that's the trick, you know, is sticking with it long enough that it becomes more than a habit. It becomes part of your DNA. What's the, what, and it seems like you really focus on that at Camp Aftermath as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, it, it's, got, it's got to get to the point where you don't think about it. Uh, when you don't do it, there's a longing for it, right? Like it's your morning cup of coffee. It's, right? When you don't go to the gym and you go all the time, 
it's not that you're like, oh, I didn't go to the gym. Your body speaks to you, right? You feel off. You feel, you know, kind of, and that's what we do with these rituals, right? They're all rituals at first, like a getting up early, you know, uh, and, and the meditation, the yoga and the mindfulness, you know what I mean? Um, and then when you start doing it without having to think about it, that's when, that's when it becomes a habit, right? Because your mind will come up with some beautiful uh, ideas of not doing things, right? Like if you want to go for that run in the morning and it's not a habit yet, oh, let's, it's a bit rainy out there. or oh, it's a bit cold. You know what I mean? Like let's just delay it until afternoon, right? And then it's just your mind is just beautiful and talking you out of it. And so then when you get past that, then you just do it, right? You don't think. You like wake up, right, cold shower, right? It's not – there's not a morning I get up and I'm like, good Lord, I can't wait to take that cold shower. But <laughs> there's no ne- – there's no negotiating either, though. Uh, the contract's been signed, right? And it's, then, so it's just a decision. It. It's yes, a- it's, a, it's a very logical decision. There's no emotion involved. There's no, you know, and you have to, your environment's very important, right? So when I do my morning rituals, uh, whether my daughter's with me or not, it doesn't matter because I do it so early in the morning where no one can constrain that time, right? So it's about setting up the right environment. That's what a lot of discussion is in phase two is like, so if you want to work out, it can't be like when everyone's demanding that time from you, right? You can't try to go to bed, do a workout during bedtime routine for your kids. That's just not going to be successful. So uh, finding that time early in the morning, late at night, or sometime at work or whatever, where it, you know, that environment basically uh, sets you up for success. To turn a habit into DNA, the most important time to act in that habit is when you least feel like it. Whether it's working out, learning a new language, it doesn't matter. It's when you least feel like it that it matters. And if you can do it on those days, you can do it on the rest. But the, I hear the people that tap out or they opt out, uh, the, the excuse is, well, I just don't have that kind of drive. That other person has this special drive. You know, that's just, that's just not me. That's not true at all. It has nothing to do with drive. It's a decision and it's discipline. And to make that decision in the first place, because you have to take a step back, because even that is too simplistic, saying, well, it's just a decision. Who are you? That's the question. Because we only rise to the level of self-concept. If we think we're a 3 out of 10, we treat ourselves like a 3 out of 10. So if we see these healthy habits as an 8 out of a 10, that's for, that's for people that are at an 8, and I'm at a 3. If that's your self-concept, you're never going to do those good habits for yourself. You just won't. So the trick is is understanding the truth, and the truth is that we're all 10 out of 10s. We all are. And that is the fucking truth. And if you don't know that, then that's your journey. Your journey is to get to the point where you realize that's who you are. And what Chris was saying earlier, you know, uh, lends to that. Talking about identities, like... A cop is only a part of who I am. I would suggest being a cop is zero of who you are. It is something that you did for a certain period of time, but it's not who you are. It's not the job that you do. It's how you do it. It's the care. It's the compassion. It's, it's the thoughtfulness. It's the kindness. That's who you are. You just happen to be you in that role for a period of time. I'm not uh, uh, a soldier that's something that I did and and the person that you are so when you when you're in a cemetery and you look at uh, all these headstones you see two things family connections and the word before that the descriptive word caring loving honest loyal 
that's who we are. And when you only uh, have so much money to to chisel into and so much space to chisel it into granite, these are the words that we choose when we have to choose our words super carefully. Caring, loving, loyal, dedicated. That's who we truly are, and that's why it's on our headstones. Chris, let's let's see how your audio is doing this time. (laughs) Oh, I can't hear you at all, sister. Gosh darn it. Do you have me on mute? Well, I'm just going to leave you off mute on my end, and then when you come in, when you come in. (laughs) Oh, that's the point. That's why I sent you guys guest packages, gosh darn it. (laughs) That's all right. So, Freed, let's talk about your service a little bit. Uh, when did you get into the military? Uh, I joined the military in 2002. Uh, I was uh, 22 years old, uh, and uh, I was uh, I got posted immediately to CFB Petawawa, and uh, I joined at an LCIS technician uh, in the signals branch, um, a radio guy, basically. And, uh, yeah, and I spent... Uh, I spent uh, five years at CFP Petawawa. I did my deployments uh, out of uh, CFP Petawawa. And then I was uh, posted to uh, Ottawa, uh, supporting uh, the mission uh, from Ottawa uh, for another five years before retiring. So you got two tours of Afghanistan, and your primary role there was supporting through uh, inter- being an interpreter. Yeah, it was a kind of a unique career. Uh, Kansas, Com, CSOR, all these units didn't exist back then. So basically, um, our uh, uh, our specialized units just picked uh, picked a plug and played out of the reg force, basically, right? And so I just happened to uh, speak one of the languages required overseas, uh, and uh, I could grow a not patchy beard. Uh, so therefore, uh, for the next ten years, uh, I supported them, whether it be through deployments or uh, supporting them from here. So it was a pretty uh, pretty awesome career for canadian special forces um can softcom is is the overarching body then underneath can softcom is csor and jtf is that right yes okay so i got that one but uh we were talking off air about how many stolen valor folks that we run into all the time have you ever run into into them yourself personally no (laughs) i I run to them all the time but none that have uh, uh pretended to be on uh, CSOR. Well, no, that's not true. I did meet one that pretended to be CSOR and JTF. Zero service. Zero. And yet uh, he was even fooling people that actually served for a while. That uh, He ended up getting charged by the RCMP for a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> but I met him personally twice. I'm like, there's something off with this guy. But it's uh, yeah. it's such a small, small, small community that um, that you just can't get away with that stuff. No, absolutely not. You're correct in that. I mean, not not everybody could be an underwater sniper or a door gunner for the space <laughs> shuttle like I was. You yeah. know, yeah. Call, Call of Duty only goes so far, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. But um, what years were you in Afghanistan? I was there in uh, Roto One, uh, so that would be. Uh, with, I was actually deployed with uh, with the Van Dues. I was at, uh, I deployed with that brigade. I didn't, uh, so I did go to Camp Julian, uh, but I uh, served uh, in, a, in a linguistic capacity with uh, something called an All Source Intelligence Center, an ASIC. Uh, so basically, yeah, I deployed with them. So I believe that was Roto One was uh, two thousand four or five, uh, I believe, and then I deployed in Roto Four. Kabul, Roto Zero, Kandahar. 
um, that would be 2004 and five. So the so the deployments were a very short uh, space between the two deployments. Well, if you worked with the end, um, I usually don't do this on the shows, but uh, did you ever work with Don Palisari? Does not ring a bell for me. Yeah, he was a he was a Patricia that turned int, so he turned into a spy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, that trade was definitely a, a mix mash of a, of, a, of a bunch of different uh, trades, basically. Yeah. Now, uh, getting back to Camp Aftermath. So, where is it? So Camp Aftermath is, I mean, I'm Ottawa-based, uh, so you can say the headquarters are in Ottawa. Uh, it's not a, uh, and uh, basically we, um, the phase two project, which again was the volunteerism, uh, the first rotations were in uh, in Costa Rica. So our sister charity was the Costa Rican Humanitarian Foundation. So we would go there and we would uh, build homes um, uh, for uh, Nicaraguan refugees in Costa Rica. Now we would not do it like in a way of building a home then leave. Do it like in a way of building a home then leave. Um, but it would be done in a way of that we would do it with the community. So if you go to our website, campaftermath.org, you'll see videos and pictures of us like working with the community, right? So you get that sense of uh, uh, that sense of connection. Uh, and then uh, because of COVID, um, we moved it to Canada because of the traveling restrictions and whatnot. So we decided to uh, do it in Canada, and we found Camp Garagona. But if I just step it back a bit, why the volunteerism piece and where that came from? Yeah, please. That was actually done uh, because it was on coincidence. Um, Throughout my deployments, you know, when you come back and they do the screening thing to make sure you're good to go uh, type thing. And they usually ask if there's everything okay, And you always want to say yes, because you don't want to dag red. You know, you don't want to not be able to go on tour again. Um, And one of them, they kind of uh, they ask what happens and why I seem to be half good to go. Uh, You know, when some, some people were not. And it came down to these terms, and, and, it, and it speaks to what you were talking about. I think this is the medical science that kind of uh, will back up what you are saying earlier about having purpose through service. Um, there were several occasions uh, which my mind had these, these shrinks were basically telling me uh, that my mind had anchored itself to. Uh, and that was, um, for example, uh, being part of a, of a foot patrol who picked up a little girl, like her father came to this girl, it looked like a vampire had sucked out all her blood. You know what I mean? Uh, and she had a, had a very rare heart disease, but very easily fixable, right? And the patrol commander decided, you're not supposed to do this, but he decided to take this little girl, bring her to Camp Julian. And the family members of uh, the, the, the brigade, they, they got the money together. They got this girl to Canada. It was, a, it was like a one-day surgery and she came back a couple of weeks later with her dad. And then you got to say you were a part of that, right? Like, no, it wasn't counterinsurgency. No one had to die for you to be good, right? It was just a good thing, right? Or seeing a Canadian water well in the middle of nowhere where there was no one recognizing it, you know? And you got to see the same color flag on your shoulder as that on that well. So though taking out bad guys is, is a part of the job for the military, there's always that piece of the trauma that comes along with that. And I feel like I was so lucky to get that because of the units I was serving with that were kind of a bit more outlandish because the average guy and the, you know, they say protect this road. There's a hospital being built down the road, down the road. So he protects the road, but he, and then there's a whole bunch of traumatic shit that happens in war that happens, but then he never gets to see the hospital. Does he, he never gets to see the kids or the doctors. And that's not the military's fault. The military has to go protect another road. But what I said, if these anchors helped me, 
then why not try to recreate that for my brothers and sisters, right? Why not create these volunteers and projects where they just don't do it and walk away and get a medal for it, but they actually do it with people looking in the eyes, right? That they're helping, right? That instant feedback, uh, right? Uh, and that's what we did in Costa Rica, and that's what we do in Canada. The interaction with the participants of Camp Garagona or the refugees in Costa Rica was the most important part, right? I, I can be good, uh, and I'm not wearing a uniform, right, uh, type of thing. So the volunteerism piece was born out of that, and then we brought on the mental health experts to do the workshops around that because what the volunteerism piece does is gives you a window, right, gives you a window for data to come in because when you're always in the shit, like if someone's, Dr. Whalen always says this, if someone's drowning, you don't go up to the guy or girl and be like, all right, this is how you swim. No, you throw the guy a life jacket, right? You yeah. throw the guy or girl a life jacket. Once they're cool, then you teach them how to swim uh, type thing. So that's, that's kind of the piece of the volunteerism. All right. Let's try Chris again. I'm going to have to mute you though and open up Chris. Oh, that's even worse, Chris. I, oh, I, this is awful. I don't. I don't think today's our day. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to have to go back to uh, Freed. It sounds like you're in a wind tunnel. It's 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 quite horrific. I'm sorry, listening audience. Okay, Chris, you can just stay on and listen to the show. I guess. Oh God, that's horrific. Oh, just me and you, Freed. That's all good, brother. I'm I'm tapping out, Chris. I'm sorry, sister. <laughs> So I want to talk about the different modalities of healing. <clears throat> so there are a lot of ways to get over the finish line and a lot of ways to to promote healing and go on that healing journey. Now, at the OSI clinics, that's uh, for our international audience, OSI is operational stress injury. And that these are the clinics that are provided by the military in Canada. But their efficacy rate, according to their internal numbers, is between 12 and 16%. Not great. And there's got to be a better, better mousetrap, which is a big part of my show. So I go around the world and talk to all kinds of experts with all kinds of modalities, and I bring them to the show, and we find those better mousetraps. And I have found modalities with uh, 50, 70, 80% um, efficacy, including I saw on your um, board of directors or one of your advisors, Genevieve uh, Boudreau. Yes. Uh, uh, Genevieve was on the show uh, some time ago, and she does something called re- reconsolidation uh, uh, therapy. And she has a very high efficacy rate. And those are the types of things that I'm looking for. Because when you invest three, four, five years of being in the meat grinder of therapy, um, you would like to see some progress. You know, I'll, like I'll do the tough work, but I'd like to see some progress, please. And um, basic modalities don't tend to do it. So what, what sort of uh, healing modalities are other than the, the sense of community, which is wonderful, a nice, safe sense of community, but um, with these mental health professionals that you're working with, what are some of the different modalities that um, ha- happen at these camps? So, so far, the thing that's in uh, feedback from the participants, uh, because we part of this program is to collect data, just like you said, right? Because you've got to know what's, you know, just because I feel good taking cold showers doesn't mean everyone else is, right? Um, one, of the, one of the things, uh, the main things that's come up is the yoga and uh, the meditation. That seems to be a top favorite, which, which you think, like, why did you have the camp, camp aftermath to realize that? Because, there's a, you know, there's a yoga 
center everywhere, right? But then when you go, I can say this as a guy, when you go there, it's intimidating, right? Everyone's wearing Lululemons, right? And uh, <laughs> the dudes have man buns and I don't fit in, right? So it's like, uh, so it's intimidating. So you'd rock, a, but, you'd, you'd rock one of those man buns for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, maybe for next year's podcast. But uh, it's one of those things where um, we do everything incrementally. So even when we meditate, we do transcendental meditation. We don't go right into 20 minutes, right? We meditate simply for five. And then every day I add on a minute. Do you know what I mean? Uh, when you do yoga, it's a certain sequence of moves and I keep adding it on, right? So uh, those seems to be the, the biggest ones. The other thing is the check-in. The check-in is when you check in with yourself. What am I out of 10? And then what does that mean to me? A lot of times uh, we don't check in with ourselves, right? Uh, we don't, where am I at? You just, you just have a baseline of shit, right? And you don't ask yourself why uh, type thing, right? And if you don't know why, you don't try uh, different things like the green drink, like yoga. So the yoga meditation, but really what's the number one thing that's happened as a result of Camp Aftermath, believe it or not, it's the, it's the ability to become a scientist, to try different things, and to accept that every no gets me closer to the yes. To accept, you know what I mean? That I will try and that every no, everything that I, if, if yoga is not for me, at least I tried it. At least I know that's a no. Okay, moving on to the next thing, right? Maybe it's cognitive therapy. Maybe it's, you know what I mean? Maybe it's... Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, psychedelics. I don't know what it is, right? But you got to keep trying. You can't, the alternative we say in Camp Aftermath is simply not an option. So yoga, meditation, and then of course we have a neuro uh, neuropsychologist, Dr. Shu on there, uh, who also speaks, you know, acknowledging, this is huge for me and for everyone at 10, acknowledging that your brain doesn't do a half-assed job. That thing is doing its best at all times. So stop shitting on yourself, Right? It's doing its best. I don't, it's not like you at the gym where you're like, ah, I'm just going to pretend, you know what I mean? I did the last set. No, this thing is always going full throttle, always doing its best, you know what I mean? At, at all times. So then you start having some self-advocacy, right? Some, and then you start acknowledging, okay, like maybe it's not serving me, but that brain, the little, your inner child, whatever, it's doing its best based on the data you're giving it. So then you start feeding it new things, new ways of thinking, 10 out of 10, right? You're, you were just talking about. So, but again, the thing that the most success rate we'd have camp aftermath is people getting slowly off their, um, some of their medications. Of course, I'm not promoting going cold Turkey, but it's one of those things that this really a testament is people slowly starting to get off some of those meds that have some of those negative side effects. Now I'm not anti-medication. Uh, everyone requires it for different points in their life, but that's the really the most enlightening thing. Uh, and that's one of the, the things that our mental health experts are most excited about. Uh, is becoming self-dependent, self-regulating again. The meditation piece in this world um, that I've been in, in the healing world, uh, the best stories I, I hear of are from people that follow either psychedelics as an experience that sometimes they stick and sometimes it doesn't, but it still, it still helps for a month or two, and meditation, which is part of the habits. And with the meditation, it's that mind-body connection and, and slowing yourself down and taking time for yourself. It's that self-care piece. But um, how would you describe the, the benefits of, let's start with, with meditation. Like, how does that work? Like, why does it work? 
So the type of meditation we do is uh, the one I was trained in. It's called transcendental meditation, right? So uh, there's different forms of meditation, as you know, right? There's music ones, there's color ones, there's guided ones. One of the things uh, what makes, which makes uh, transcendental meditation army-proof, if you will, <laughs> is that um, you're given a, Point a mantra. Point towards enemy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, and, and at transcendental meditation, if you look it up, uh, the United States Marine Corps, uh, you know, hypothetically the most violent unit in the world, right? The mo- they actually use it as part of their basic training now. Uh, and, it's, and so they're starting to understand that meditation is a good proactive way of addressing trauma that's going to come your way because 100% in the Marines, you're going to, you're going to experience some shit, right? Like, uh, in, in a unit that's just built to be an amphibious. So, um, the transcendental meditation, you're given a mantra and you simply ignore just repeat the mantra in your mind. Now people want to get complete silence, you know what I mean? And start levitating day one of the, of the yoga meditation. Yeah, right? Good luck with that. Right. And the idea is that, oh, when I try to meditate, my mind's all over the place. There's all these thoughts that come to my mind. So therefore I quit. The concept of transcendental meditation is that, for example, we'll we'll compare to our physical body. When your body, when you have a sore knee and your body acknowledges it, oh shit, like, you know what I mean? Like Mark's sleeping right now. So then when your body knows you're in that state, it starts healing that knee because you're not moving it. You know what I mean? So basically your body acknowledges that I don't need to use all these and I can spend some energy healing this knee. That's why sometimes people say sleep on it, right? So your mind is the same way. As soon as you start meditating, all of a sudden, so right now all your senses are kicking off. I'm talking, you're listening, there's noise, whatever. But when you start meditating and it starts to get quiet in your mind, and they have actually like, you know, they have sensors that prove this. Your mind is like, oh, shit, Mark's finally relaxing. Let's start to deal with all this shit in in our subconscious. So those are the thoughts. So actually, those thoughts are a good thing. Those thoughts are getting all that stuff off, all the stuff that's draining you in the background, right? The theory is that it's relieving you of all those thoughts. And And so by actually having those thoughts and then coming back to the mantra, having those thoughts, coming back to the mantra, right? 20 minutes a day, you might get one minute of meditation in there. It doesn't matter. You have to be a professional. You sit your ass in that seat for 20 minutes, whether you get silence for two minutes or 20 minutes. So you start to acknowledge those thoughts and those, what you want to call distractions as part of the healing journey. And the more you meditate, the less shit in the back there is, right? And the more deeper you get. And instead of trying to block those thoughts or to fight them or suppress them, detach, just observe them. Yeah. Just, just yeah, let them, sure, let, right? them, let them roll, no matter what they are. Yeah. And, oh man, uh, I got a Spielberg in there. Like it's a Spielberg in there, right? You just gotta like some of the thoughts connect to each other, and the next thing you know, God knows what country you're in, right? So yeah, and that's uh, okay. Just, 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 just let it flow, like Aikido. Just let the force go. Don't try to control it. Just take uh, a step back and uh, and just observe those thoughts. And how about for um, the the yoga piece? How do you feel that that is? How would you describe to people why it works and why it's important? Yoga, when you start to learn, like really becoming a, a learn really thoroughly about yoga, it's not about looking like a pretzel at all. Uh, yoga is <laughs> mostly because that's what turned me off it, right? And I, I got well, into yoga. Just watch for, me for put a, my head up my own butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? So it's more, I, I did it more for the sake of uh, injury prevention. And then I started to feel the the silence piece. So that's why our, our meditation sessions follow the yoga. So yoga, the moves or the asanas, what they want to call them, it's actually only like 1% of yoga, like 99% of it is breathing, right? So when you breathe in and breathe out into moves, 
the constant massive intake of oxygen, right? And holding and releasing and holding. That's what gets you the buzz at the end of yoga, right? The moves help, of course, but it's the breathing that gets your like, you know, that gets you out of that flight or flight type, right? And then you just kind of calm down because we normally don't walk around breathing like that, right? <gasps> you know what I mean? You don't walk around breathing like that. Someone thinks they're having a heart attack. So by uh, having that massive amount of oxygen for an extended period of time in and out, you know what I mean? Uh, you just feel like you're just wearing an oxygen mask, right? It's like the dog with their head out the window. And so that gets you in a state where you start thinking with the front side of your brain, that neocortex and, and start being more logical, right? Oh, that guy cut me off. Do you know what I mean? What a dick, you know, must be trying to get somewhere fast versus like, daydreaming about that motherfucker for like that rest of the drive, choking him out and then talking about it all day at work uh, type thing. Right. So you start to thinking more logical because you're constantly breathing. Right. Uh, and type thing. And that doesn't stop when you're done yoga that continues on, you know, there's that's proven that that deep breath work continues on throughout the day. If it's a practice, if it's a constant, like anything else, when you have people together, I'm always, um, interested on how people create that i hate the phrase but it's it's true that safe space that um the power of peer support is significant it's probably the most important thing to find that sense of safe community where there's no judgment you're accepted you can just be yourself and you're not worried about um being made fun of or 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 criticized and a place where people just get you so when you have these people together at one of your camps, what are the do's and the don'ts on the peer support side of things? Right. That's a very good question. So one of the things, group work is definitely not something that's done by everyone, right? Dr. Whalen was pioneering in that world. Uh, so a lot of people, when they think of therapeutical work or therapy, it's one-on-one, right? So group work is a safe place where you come and you say how you feel in, in, in a group. But there's not a place for anyone to come and tell you, oh, it's going to be okay, and here's what I did to make you make it feel better. There's not a place for diagnoses, and there's not a place to um, stop someone from crying, for example, mm. right? Because when you stop someone from crying, it's not because you almost care about them. It's more because you're uncomfortable with them crying, right? So it's a place where people come, and there's no diagnosis. You can feel as shitty as you want. You can say whatever you want. You get it out simply, Right? That's the group. So then most places where you come and do that, people want to fix you, right? People want to give you advice on what to do. So that piece regarding advice and guidance comes in, in other phases. But the group work and whether it be in yoga meditation, for example, yoga meditation, I'm always, uh, I never close my eyes. You know, I always, I'm always by the door. Everyone is safe. My eyes will remain open, you know, during this exercise. But as far as the group work goes, and that's including the mental health experts, which are sitting amongst us which are also sharing their stuff, by the way. The mental health experts also make life changes. They've, Dr. Wells retired. Lisa Preston's moved to finally, you know, moved into the, her dream house. Everyone's done. The mental health experts are making the smart goals. They're making movements as well. But it's not a place where they diagnose you for feeling the way you do. You simply are in a place where I can say anything, right? Now, uh, as, as far as just the uh, not... Um not the therapeutic end of it, but uh, the peer support end of it. So the, the do's or don'ts of, of peer support. What, what would you say about that? Well, I guess... Uh, or I guess is it, would you say the same thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the don't is like in peer support is like, 
though you've had something that's worked for you, like we've had people that marijuana has literally saved their lives, yeah. right? Like CBD. And they come in hot, right? Everyone, you need to grab them and do this, you know? And then some other dudes <laughs> like, dude, like, no, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah, because people want to share what's, what's helped with them. So the don'ts I would say is be cognizant of what's worked for you and share it with them in, a, in an empathetic way, right? In private, but to come like tell the group they have to get on the mushrooms or they have to get on the weed or they have to get on the yoga or meditation, uh, it's not a place for that, right? Uh, the do's are uh, be a professional, right? When you don't want to go, as you said, to this peer support, that's when you go, right? Even if you don't say anything, just go, right? Uh, everything else, we can be a professional, right? You show up for this podcast and it might be a 10 out of 10 or it might be a 1 out of 10, but your ass still shows up. Right. So why can't we do that for ourselves? Why can't we do that for ourselves? Right. When it's time to meditate, when it's time to show up at the peer group, you know, just show up. Don't say anything. And you'll see over time that's going to develop into something beautiful where you, you get that sense of connection. And who is welcome to be on uh, at Camp Aftermath? Is it veterans and first responders or is there others? Yes. Yeah. First responders. We have the, we have also frontline uh, workers as well. We opened it up to nurses, doctors, anyone that basically is suffering from any kind of mental health issues as a result of their occupation uh, type thing. So, you know, we have uh, uh, people who work, uh, you know, the jail systems, uh, I forget the name of those. Uh, corrections uh, officers, know, uh, COs. Corrections officers, yeah, yeah, those guys, right, and girls. And so, yeah, we've had it, we've had it all, and we do a screening process, and then uh, once that's done with our mental health experts and yours, um, then basically, yeah, we, we fired up. We keep, this, uh, we keep the group small, no more than 10 participants, uh, because you don't want it to get clicky, so we keep it very small and intimate, and then um, and then we roll with it, right? Now, at each camp, uh, do you have arm wrestling tables? Are you always teaching arm wrestling at all these camps? No, 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 no. Our, our boy Devin Lorat doesn't come out for those ones yet. But uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. Shout out to Devin Lorat, who just became the world champion again. Uh, but um, no, we we definitely do have physical activity, and one of the things that's really been good is. After a heavy workshop, like for example, a shame uh, is a, a heavy one, emotional regulation, uh, everyone gets out in the morning, uh, sorry, everyone gets out after each workshop and we walk, right? We walk. Now, Chris was training uh, for her uh, Ironman, I believe, and so she was running uh, as well. Uh, but most people, we do engage in, in physical activity uh, because that's part of the whole process, right? And the volunteers and peace usually includes uh, physical activity, but you do not need to be jacked uh, to come to camp aftermath uh, because like there's different volunteer. Uh, you don't got to be jacked to be an arm wrestler either. You should see some of the scrawny people in our club. You know what? Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> I just compared to Devin. That's why he's a monstrosity. So like, well, uh, yeah. uh, compared to Devin Larratt, uh nobody's jacked. <laughs> yeah. That guy's something else. All right, I think we're about there, but uh, but you should r- really have arm wrestling tables there. I'll, I'll explain why out there. But okay. um, anyway, you two, thanks so much, Chris. I'm so sorry that the audio was just a dog's breakfast this morning. What are you going to do? But uh, you two stay on the line, and we'll close out. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. 
please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.